to see God's Word this morning. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I do want to thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. If you are one of our guests, we're so pleased that you chose to do that. And uh, we do thank you for being here with us this morning. Well, we're going to continue the series, Smoke and Mirrors. And uh, I want to give you a lot of heads up about where we're headed with it this morning because it is uh, a little different than, than the messages I typically bring. So I want to give you a whole lot of information up front just kind of to get into it. And first of all, I want us to look at the series introduction. You can find that in your handout. The best way not to be taken in by that which is false is to know from facts to experience that which is true. It's not just when it comes to the Christian experience, when it comes to those who are followers of Jesus Christ, it's important that we don't just have facts in our head, but the movement of the heart. And that comes by experiencing God. And, and so many times we lose sight of that. We think, well, as long as I know this, and maybe I pick up a little bit of this, and, and, and I know this about Jesus, and I, well, that, that's really not the question. The question is, have you truly experienced what it means to be touched by the love of God? Have you truly experienced what it means when the Holy Spirit moves upon your life in such a way that it brings conviction, that it reveals something to you, that shows you maybe the next step of the purpose that God has for you? That's what it all is about. And to know what is truly true in this day and age is very important. Very important because there's so many mixed signals coming at us. So many false teachers. In the first century, the false teachers there taught about a four-headed monster that consisted of intellectualism, ritualism, mysticism, and legalism. And we've so far in this journey through this uh, series have made our way through intellectualism and ritualism. But today I want us to look at mysticism. Now, look at the introduction. Mysticism is the attempt to perceive and experience spiritual reality. It is the belief that one can have a direct experience with the spirit world and with God apart from Jesus and the revelation God has given through his word. Modern mysticism expresses itself through what we call today the New Age movement. And that was something that was much popular 20-some years ago, but still consists and is really around us. What's interesting is it's taken, it's almost like New Age, the New Age movement that we knew 20 years ago has evolved into something I think that most people are not even seeing. There's a clear difference between what tr is truly true and really what it represents today. It's kind of mingled itself into society. Now, look at the definition of, a, of, new age, of the New Age movement. A general term for thousands of spiritual groups that have embraced and blended various elements of Asian religious philosophy and even popular psychology. So what I want to do is just as Paul has done here in these two verses we're going to look at this morning... I want us to first of all look at the elements of mystical exploration. In verse 18, the emphasis, when you really strip it all away, is really more on the human experience. It's the idea that whatever a person experience, experiences becomes divine truth for them. And Paul's going to give us three ways this false teaching was expressing itself in chapter 2, verse 18, look at what he says in verse 18. Let not one cheat you. That, that phrase, cheat you, means to take away from you, 
of your reward. Your reward, what does that even mean? It's your freedom and salvation made possible through Jesus. He's saying, don't let anyone cheapen it. Don't let anyone think it's not enough. It is. That's basically what he's saying. And he's talking about those who, who take delight in false humility, worship of angels, and intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He's literally given us three things that we can look at. He's going to show these to us, and we're going to break them down. But in the meantime, as we look at this, those of us who claim to hold to the claims of the gospel, we believe Jesus is the one and only. That's what we believe about our salvation. Apart from Jesus, no, nothing uh, taken away from him, nothing adding to him. Just Jesus himself is what salvation is all about. And our freedoms are found in that. So that gives us this insight, which Jesus gave us. Jesus is not a way to God. Jesus said he was the way to God. Jesus is not a truth. Jesus, as he said, is the truth. He's the embodiment of truth. However, in the first century, as the 21st century, there were those who offered additions and substitutions to the gospel. So false teachers were moving in and out of the Christian community, spreading confusion and deceit. That was not only something happening in the first century, it continues now into the 21st century and has always been around. Now, in the first century, the false teachers were known as the Gnostics. That was the largest group of false teachers apart from the Judaizers that we find in the first century. Now, Gnostics, the opposite of that, of that word is agnostic. Many of you are probably more familiar with agnostic. Now, an agnostic is someone who says, it may be true, but I don't know, and you really don't know. That's what an agnostic would say. Now, a Gnostic, and this was what was prevalent in the first century, is someone who says, I do know, and you can know if you listen to me. <laughs> they would go further to say, I am one of the few who does know. I have access to information and experiences that are not available to the average person. And really, when you break it all down, that's where the Gnostics were coming from. And the word Gnostic literally just means no or knowledge. And so we see all this. So the Gnostics claimed that they had deeper experiences with God. They taught that they knew more and had gone further with God than others. They believed they could help people enter into a mystical experience with God. So in, the, in verse 18, the first part, he says this. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Don't let anyone make you think that what the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross for your salvation, don't let anyone cheat you. Don't let anyone take that, anything away from that and what it means to you. He's coming, he's coming across this very clearly. It also carries the idea of not letting anyone judge your journey as you follow Jesus based on false experiences or false assumptions concerning the spirit world. So basically what Paul was saying, he's saying there's many out there who claim to have answers that they probably really don't have answers. And there's many out there who could lead you astray. Be careful. Don't let anyone do that to you. So let's start where he begins in verse 18. One of the noted elements of mysticism was something called asceticism. Asceticism. Now, this is something that's been practiced probably since man has been on the earth. It's one of those things where you have extreme practices 
of self-denial. Notice I said extreme practices of self-denial. Now, the opposite of this idea would be hedonism or debauchery. And it really, that literally means not withholding from anything. Now, in the first century, just like in the 21st century and every other century that's come and gone, what you'll find is there are many people who basically say, this is one life, let's just live it up. Let's live it up. And it doesn't matter what it, what it may bring. Let's just uh, endure as much pleasure as we can, uh, eat, drink, and be merry. This is it. And that was the mindset that was there in the first century also. So the ascetics came along. These were people who, who took the, 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 wanted to be the opposite of that, which you kind of got to admire some of that. But it took it to, to extreme measures. And they would do things to themselves, and they would, they, would, would, they would do different things, and they became the false teachers who were used to literally take away from the gospel. So in Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 18 again, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. Now, there are examples in the Bible of what some people could say would be asceticism. Uh, one is, is what many call the Nazarite vow. If, how many of you have heard of the Nazarite vow? It consisted of three things uh, primarily. No one is uh, to cut their hair, be a near a dead body, definitely not touch a dead body, and abstain from all alcohol. And then there's the idea of fasting that we find in Scripture, a discipline to get closer to God or possibly hear from God. But it's not normally what you find in Scripture as something as a work of penance. That's not what you find in Scripture when it comes to fasting. Fasting is the attempt to get closer to God or to hear from God. But what was happening in that day is there were people who, who had radical forms of this. And they began in the, in the whole idea of beating themselves. That's the truest form of asceticism. The extreme measures. Beating oneself. Self-mutilization. Celibacy. Depriving oneself of sleep. And the list goes on and on. And they were used as Methodist methods, not Methodist, excuse me. <laughs> we love Methodists, don't get me wrong, anyway. <laughs> methods used to get closer to God or demonstrate to others how close they are to God. So we see asceticism, and it literally became front page news when people would do it, and, and people would develop reputations for it. And really, they were saying, this is how I'm getting closer to God, apart from the gospel, okay? Then there's another element of mysticism, and it's called spiritism. And it attempts to contact disembodied beings such as a person or an angel. Now, how many of you are like, ooh, I mean, that, that kind of brings us to that level. But Paul's talking about it. And it was something that was definitely practiced in the first century, all other centuries, even today. And, and, and really, look at what he says in verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, those who are ever here doing extreme ascetic measures uh, to themselves, and worship of angels. This is the second category uh, uh, that you find here that he's discussing. But here's where the Gnostics fit in. The Gnostics had whole series of teachings about this matter of the hierarchy of angels. They taught no human being can go directly to God through Jesus. You must go through a whole series of these angelic beings. You move from one angelic being to the next until you get into an inner shrine. Then you yourself can become God. 
Sounds very convenient, doesn't it? Now, let me just tell you this about God's angels in the Bible. They wanted no part of this. Matter of fact, there's some almost humorous stories in the Bible. And one of them is in Revelation chapter 22. Paul, excuse me, John is writing the book of Revelation. He's getting all these visions. And there seems to be an angel there that's guiding him in the visions and what he sees. And so look, I want you to look here on the screen. It says, now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I saw, heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you don't do that. Now, the last angel that demanded worship was who? Lucifer, Satan himself. And this angel probably remembered that time and said, don't do that. <laughs> For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophet, of those who keep the words of this book. And then it was, he say, worship God. Now, that's good advice from an angel, isn't it? And that's what any angel who's associated with the kingdom of God would say in that given situation. And we find that here in Scripture. So the worship of angels in this context is not just the idea of worship, but even more so of one of contact. One of contact. Many who participate in spiritism are in contact with the spirit world, but not necessarily the divine spirit world. Now, some of you are like, man, you're really going out there this morning. I know, I know, but this is what we find in Scripture. Now, I'm going to tell you something personally that you may not agree with me on, but I think we can find it in Scripture in several places. I believe they are in contact with the spirit world and not the divine. I've seen it up close. I've seen it from a distance. I've read about it. I've seen it. I've heard it. And you can't deny, even from the pages of God's Word, that people can be in contact with those things that are not divine outside of this world. Now, many years ago, I don't know if y'all remember this, but there was a, a, a TV show where they had a, a, a pet psychic. How many of y'all remember this from years ago? And, and she would go around, and she would get around a person, and if you lost a pet, <laughs> I mean, I used to watch it just thought it was hilarious, to be honest with you. If you had a pet, she was able to contact that pet who had, passed on in the by and by, okay? And she could say, oh, she, your, your cute little cat or whatever it was, Buffy or whatever you want to call this cat, uh, she, she just wants to let you know that it's not your fault that, that you left her there starving to death in a house locked up. No, no I'm just kidding. But, but she would claim that she could talk to the animals that are gone, much less being here. And then in the, 19, in, in the 1990s, John Edward, I don't know if you remember him, not John Edwards, John Edward, had a TV show called Crows, uh, Crossing Over. And he was someone who claims he could talk with the dead. I don't know if you remember that show. That was one of the most popular shows at the time. And, and it, it's really amazing. And some of you say, oh, man, that's all fantasy. That's not even. No, some of it is very real, y'all. And I think we got to take note, and this was some of the same things that were happening in the first century. Now, much of New Age, uh, of the New Age movie is found in spiritism, but it's primarily made up of the old religions of Hinduism and Buddhism. Some sets of the New Age movement also dabble into channeling, which is allowing a spirit to speak through you, or reincarnation, the rebirth of a soul 
are spirit guiders, a disembodied entity who acts as one's God. Now, how many of you remember Shirley MacLaine, the actress? Did you know she was caught up in all this? She even wrote books about it. And some of it would just blow your mind, some of the things she would come up with. But she taught of a New Age philosophy from her book, Out on a Limb. She taught that she had a spirit guide, and his name was Kevin. Now, I don't know about you, but I would probably think of a more exotic name than Kevin. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you're sitting there thinking about the old Hinduism and Buddhism, Kevin? Come on, give me a break, you know? But anyway, Kevin. Kevin showed her the way through her spirit world. Kevin got her in contact with other spirit beings. Now, you sit here and say, this is some messed up stuff. It is. But there's many who have these claims. Many believe this. And keep in mind that the enemy, let me tell you about the enemy. He can give us experiences also. He can give us visions He can give us information. He can give us these things. He's capable of doing it. Lastly, another element of mysticism is spiritual elitism. And that's supposedly higher knowledge only available to some. In verse 18, he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. The last part, intruding into those things which he has not seen, but vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. The word intruding here carries the context or the meaning of claiming to have or even the idea of entering into. And what you'll find, especially with the Gnostics and, and some of the New Age things that you find in our world today, they had secret ceremonies or secret incantations, which supposedly got them into a higher level of spirituality. They believe to, to really crank through these spirit levels, this is one way you could do it. And basically, here's what they would say. Well, I've had this revelation, and you haven't had that revelation. I've had this experience. You haven't had this experience. I've had this vision, and you haven't had this vision. And again, what, what was Paul trying to, what's, what's the whole thing in which he wrote Colossians chapter 2 for? He was writing it to show you the false teachings that were taking away from who Jesus was and the salvation he provided. And they were basically trying to create this whole structure around it. But what was at the heart of it? Well, we find possibly the answer here, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Did you know the enemy is capable of deceiving you with what many think would, say would be good things? That he's capable of deceiving you in such a way in which he can turn something that is beauty, beautiful and make a presentation in that that is purely evil? He's capable of these things. And, there, and then he says, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. I don't know about you, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, these verses tell me that, that not only are people being used as the enemy with the enemy to do certain things and they're oblivious to it, but it also teaches me there are people who basically have surrendered their service to darkness. 
That's what this verse implies. Now, some of you are going to have a hard time going home and take a Sunday afternoon nap, aren't you? I mean, no, I'm just kidding. But I want you to think about this. This stuff is real. We can't just pretend like it's not there. Paul begins his warning by addressing the demeanor of the false teachers. They pretend to be something they're not. And then we read in Hebrews. And last week I told you what Hebrews is trying to do. The writer of Hebrews, what he's trying to do is tell you that Jesus is greater. Greater than the prophets of old. Greater than the angels. Greater than the law. He goes on and on and on. And and the whole thing really talks about this. But then it gets to the nitty gritty and it tells you this. Look here on the screen. Therefore, brethren, have a boldness to enter the holiest. The holiest. You know where that is? In the very presence of God himself. It's a take from the holy of holies that you find in the old temple. He says, entering to the holiest. How do we do that? By the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. That's the only way. It's not through these other measures, which he consecrated for us. He set us apart for us through the veil that his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, he took everything that we need, everything that we needed, he put in place through Jesus. And then it says then, let us, what's our response? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the confession of our salvation, the confession of what Jesus has done without wavering. For he who promised is what? Faithful. He's faithful. Don't worry about all these other mixed messages. Get off all that. It sounds intriguing, but it gets you nowhere. Communion with God is not through false humility nor a series of secret and complicated steps to get to God. A true experience with God will always, listen, be affirmed by the word of God and will produce true humility and not a false humility. So the bottom line to all this, look here on your, on the, at the, on your uh, outline. Mysticism promotes self and demotes Jesus. That's really what's at the heart of it. So, what's the alternative? Paul points out those things that can misguide us, mislead us. Where do we go from here? Well, here it is. The elements of of the spiritual experience. Number one, a living relationship. A living relationship. Paul in verse 19 is revealing how to have a genuine experience based on truth and not some mystical experience or vision based on, on other things. So what is he talking about here? Look at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body. So here, here's where he's saying. Verse 18 is going to lead you astray. And if you're going to be led astray, it's because right here, you're not holding fast to the head. Now in scripture, what do we know is the head? He's talking about the head being Jesus. It's very clear. There's no mistake about this. He is the head, okay? We are the body. And he tells us that. Not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, the church, that represents us as believers, followers of Jesus, are nursed and knit together by joints and ligaments, not holding fast to the head. So he's basically, when you look at this whole thing, if you're going to go astray, it's because you're not locked into the body and you're not trusting the head and what he represents in your life. 
And that's a picture of Jesus. So not holding fast to the head implies that when people or the enemy get you sidetracked on what was mentioned in verse 18, you you lose connection with the head. And according to the scripture, Jesus is the head of the church. Head of the church. It's all about him. So true spiritual reality. Here's really what it's saying in verse 19. It's communion with God through Jesus and other believers in the body. So if I want a healthy relationship with God, it will only take place through Jesus. If I'm to have any relationship with God, it's only going to take place through Jesus. And guess what? He doesn't end there. And he places me into the body to help bring the assurances and accountability and authority that I need to be all that I need to be to him. It's amazing. The church has a vital role in your life. And that's another verse that tells us this. Next, another of the true element of the true spiritual experience, a growing relationship. It's not that you enter into a living relationship, which is true, but you got to take it further. If you're not going to buy into the philosophies of this world, the false teachings of this world, if, if, the only way you're not going to buy into those things is to understand the truth in which you've been called. And the truth that you've been called into is made way possible through the salvation that Jesus brings and through the Holy Spirit working in your life, revealing and showing and demonstrating And really from the whole point of view, really of you becoming discipled in the word of God. And that's where we find it. So chapter 2, verse 19, he says, And not holding fast to the head from from whom all the body. And then he uses words like this. Nourished and knit together. We're brought together by the joints and ligaments. Grows with the increase that is from God. Now every one of us in this room, or in this room if we have a healthiness about us, we have a pituitary gland that's located in our head. It's actually in the center part of our head. The, this gland secretes a growth hormone. This growth hormone makes your body grow and keeps your muscles toned. All growth in the body is derived from the pituitary gland in the head. The same is true about your spiritual life. Except for the head we're talking about is Jesus himself. So the latter part of verse 19, when we find the word increase, it's in a present tense verb, which means there's a continuality to it. The intention is that you continue to grow in Christ. You grow in Jesus. You learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You begin to understand the truths of his word where we can understand and experience it in such a way that we can recognize false teaching. He see, here's what we need to understand. We just don't all of a sudden become a fully mature follower of Jesus when we come to know him as our Lord and Savior. It's a process. It's a growth process. We start out as babes in our spiritual experience. And if not discipled, we're open prey for false teachers. Last night, we were watching... um, My wife's really into it. I I used to be. Now she's got me back into it. The documentaries on the, the animal kingdom... How many of you, it's cruel out there. How many of you have seen these things? I mean, you got the, I was watching the other day, and the giraffe, big mama giraffe, all of a sudden the baby's born. Can you imagine being born from a giraffe? 
you know you're going to fall six feet when you come out of the birth canal. I mean, that has to be a great awakening, you know? And she's standing there, and these lions, it's almost like they are laying in wait, knowing what's about to happen. And all of a sudden, the lion moves in. As soon as the baby's born, barely gets on her feet, takes, takes down the, the baby a giraffe. My heart just broke. I'm just going, man, don't laugh, because it did. I'm not, I'm not from PETA or anything, I promise. So, but, but I did. I, I really struggled. I, I sat there, and I was like, man, the baby just got into this world. You know, it's really amazing that how many of you realize that babies, human babies, are the most vulnerable of everything that's ever been created? The most vulnerable. Can't do a thing for themselves. A babe in Christ that's really a picture of what you have. And it's the church's responsibility to make sure it comes alongside to help navigate what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That they won't be pulled away or swayed from this world and the false teaching. That they become discipled in Jesus. You see, spiritual transformation happens when you grow daily. From a babe in Christ to a maturing person. But what can help us grow? 1 Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. You got to start somewhere. You start with the milk. You begin to understand. It's literally the idea of someone right there nourishing you and spoon feeding you and taking careful care of you. But then he goes in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of what? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is your only hope in a world like this. So the bottom line is this. In Scripture, spiritual growth takes place in connection to the church. How? Here's the footnote, or here's the verse for the footnote. Here it is again, verse 19. Holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Why? Here it is. This verse tells us this. Jesus is the head of the body, nourishes the body, unites the body, and increases the body. So when you give your life to Jesus Christ through salvation, he becomes the central figure in your life. He becomes your all. And that's what makes him Lord of our lives. And he doesn't just leave us alone. He didn't just give us his word and say, okay, you have your instructions. See ya. I'll be back soon. No, what did he do? He sent his Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to convict us, to stay on the path of the truth that he presented through his life and what we find in his word. So we see it's all about Jesus. So here's the application. Do you realize there are spirit worlds that are seeking your attention? Do you know it? Are you fully aware of that? Beware of those who desire to lead you in spiritual maturity apart from Jesus, God's word, and the church. You better be awake to it. This past Saturday night, I'm sorry, that was last night, wasn't it? Must have been Friday night. Friday night, um, many of you know Miss Betty McIntyre. She's one of our godly women who's been a part of this church since, I think, 1950 or 51. I, I can't get it quite straight. Uh, been a central part of our church's history and just a teacher for many, many years. And uh, she's, she's, she's on her way home, basically, at this point. 
And Friday night, I got called to the hospital, and she was kind of in disarray, and she was struggling. You could tell she had a bad reaction to something. And, and I went into the room. She, she said, Brian, you got to pray for me. I prayed for her. Very tender moment. And then I, the nurses and the doctors, they kind of cleared out. And Debbie and I, her daughter, were sitting there, and, and we were talking. And then all of a sudden, Miss Betty just started quoting Luke chapter 2. She literally quoted almost the whole chapter right there in her moment of what we thought she was going home. And she not only taught it, she, she not only said it, she taught it. Like she was standing in front of a whole group of people that need to hear the word of God. I was blown away. Because just before that, she made no sense when she talked. She would ask questions, same question over and over and over again. But all of a sudden, she got into Luke chapter 2, and she began to quote it, and then she began to teach it. And then at the end, she said a beautiful prayer, and then she basically looked up and said, thank you all for coming to hear what God's laid on my heart. Let me tell you something. That was a very precious moment for me to watch that. Because you know what I saw? I saw someone who knew the Word of God. I saw someone who was faithful to what God had done in her life. I saw someone who was true to what God was calling her to. Even to the very end, she was a teacher. To the very end, she's doing what God called her to do. And you talking about something that will feed your faith? Watch something like that. See something like that of someone who's not swayed by false teaching, but someone in which the Word of God is central to who they are in such a way they can be there and be out of their mind in one moment and right in tune with the Word of God the very next moment. That blew my mind. Just blew my mind. I want to ask you where you are today. Are, are, you, are you drawn to the Word of God? Do, do, when you're away from it, do you miss it? Do, do, do you long for it? Y'all, this is our only hope in navigating through this world of false teaching. Right now, we are a generation who hears more information than any other generation before us. There's more information coming to us. There's more things that can pull us away from the true meanings of God's word. There's so many things out there. There's, there's this measure, then there's a countermeasure, and then there's this thought, and there's a counterthought. There's this truth, and then there's a counter to that truth. And, and it's everywhere. I don't know about you, but it sends my head spinning sometimes. But you know something? It doesn't spin too far because I know what grounds me. It's the Word of God. And when I listen to all the messages out there, listen, I, I'm nobody special, but I know the Word of God. I can immediately recognize it for what it is. I can because I know the Word. And, it, and it's our responsibility not just know the Word. We are to live the Word, and we are to teach the Word. You say, I'm not a teacher. It doesn't matter. God's given you the gifts to bring the Word. All the gifts in those, in those terms, you can bring the Word through those gifts. Just teaching the Word. And let me tell you this. Our children, our grandchildren need to know it more than any other generation before us because there are so many competing things that are coming for them. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. and Lord, we know that your word is powerful. Your word says it is. 
We know your word is transformative because it says it is. And not only because it says it is, it's because we are, are those who've experienced it. We've seen where the word of God has taken us as individuals. We've seen how it's come alongside and guided us. And Father, we thank you that we not only have that word, we have your Holy Spirit to teach us. Father, I just thank you that when Jesus left this world, he didn't just leave us to ourselves. He left us not only with the greatest truth the world's ever seen in, in his word, along with that Holy Spirit that leads and guides us. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, if they've never sensed the, 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 the words of the Holy Spirit speaking to them, that, Lord, they won't be satisfied until, until they know that the Spirit of God speaks to them. Father, I know that when we come to salvation, it's your Holy Spirit that brings us to that point of salvation. And Father, I know that if I'm ever going to grow and understand your truth more in, in a visible way, in an experiential way, it will only come by way of the Holy Spirit working in my life. Father, I thank you for that gift that you give us, that salvation. And Father, I just pray for those in this room, Lord. I, I pray that, 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 Lord, number one, that we, we would, even through a message like this, we would have a greater appreciation for your truth. Father, that we would not be satisfied until we know your truth. And Father, that we would also not be satisfied unless, and, and, until we let those around us understand what we do know about your truth, whether it's to our children, our grandchildren, whoever it may be. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for a salvation that needs no help. It needs no help. You're the one and only when it comes to our salvation when it comes to our newfound freedoms and what it means to follow you. We thank you for it. And Father, if there's someone here today, I pray that before they leave here today, Lord, that they would speak to myself or another pastor, Lord, about what we're talking about here today. That The greatest decision they could ever make in their life is to follow you. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for what you're going to do. Have your way as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I don't know what God's laid on your heart, but I'll be here at the front. If God's called you to something, or you need someone to pray with, with you, whatever it may be. Would you sing with us?